Good morning, good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class is dedicated loving memory of Sandy Shochet's mother, Daisy Ezer. Alea Shalom Lilunishma Daisy Bar Gorgia, sponsored by the Sagman family. Ruach Alnait Rechena Began Eden. As well, Breakfast in the Class is dedicated loving memory of Lilunishma Haim Yosef Ben Abraham on his Askara, sponsored by his son Alex Brick. Ruach Alnait Rechena Began Eden. Breakfast in the Class is also dedicated loving memory of Sandy Shochet's parents. Daisy and Salim Ezer, Aleha HaShalom. Lidu Nishmatem, Daisy Bagodjia and Salim Yosef Ben Serah. Is it Serah or Sarah? Serah. Alehem HaShalom, during Yeshiva and his Azkara by Rini and Ezra Daba. As well, breakfast on the class dedicated loving memory of Daisy and Salim Ezer. Alehem HaShalom, Lidu Nishmatem, Daisy Bagodjia and Salim Yosef Ben Serah, during her Shiva on his Azkara from the Shochef family. And uh, we also have the dedication, loving memory of Beatrice Di Fonseca, Lirushmat Beatrice Bat Miriam Sumburero, sponsored by Hashan Moshe Israeli. And as well, the week of Cobra was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. My friends, there's, um, there's a beautiful uh, insight that I just wanted to share with you today. The Pasuk tells us, Usfartem Lachem. That you will count for yourselves from the day after the Shabbat, day after of rest, from the day that you bring the Omer the Omer that gets Tinufa means that gets lifted. Because when they would sacrifice the Korban, they would take the Omer, they would lift it up, they would put it in all four directions, symbolizing the Beracha, that they hoped for the crops uh, in all four directions. Remember, the Omer is being brought on the holiday of Pesach. And it represents in the springtime the beginning of the sprouting of all of the plant of the plant life of tree life around the world. So they would do the Omer in all four directions. Now, what's interesting? The Sefarim ask a very interesting question. This special korban. What was it called? It was called the korban a Omer, and that is the time of Omer that we call we call Sfirat Omer. Okay, so. What does Omer actually mean? Does anyone know? We say the Omer, the Omer, the Omer, Svirat the Omer. Counting of the Omer. What's the Omer? Some sacrifice. Some sacrifice. But actually, good, an offering. But that's not what Omer means. Korban is the offering. So the Korban Omer is the offering of the Omer. But what does the Omer mean? It's actually really interesting. The Omer is a measurement in weight. There's a certain amount of weight of barley that they would bring. An Omer is roughly two and a half kilo, which is, again, roughly, what is that, six pounds? Something like that. And a kilo is 2.2. So you have, you know, 4.4 and 1.1 is 5.5 pounds. Five and a half pounds. So let's call it five pounds. An Omer is five pounds. So Sfarim asks a fascinating question. This korban, which, which has such deep and profound meaning uh, with regards to the process of, of being, bringing berachah to all the crops in the world, that's the name you give it? Five and a half pounds? Call it the korban of seorim, of barley. Call it the korban of spring. The korban of parnasah. Right? There's so many names you could have called it that not five pounds. 
right? Someone comes and they bring you a beautiful, you know, uh, gold necklace as a present. They bring you a diamond ring. You say, oh my gosh, thank you for 40 ounces. Who talks that way? You go to Reserve Cut, you buy something, you have a delicious meal, and at the end you come back home and someone says, what do you have? And you say, about pound, pound and a half. <laughs> you factor in the bread and the fries and the sushi. I'd say had pound and a half. You know, so Reserve Cut is you know, $300 for a pound and a half. <laughs> what, who, why would we call the Omer that? Did you ever think of this question in your life? I read it in a Sefer and a Peyon Shilomo, I was blown away. What a brilliant observation. And his answer is even more beautiful. His answer is that it's important to remember that there is a cutoff point where the Jewish society and culture actually changed radically from one moment to the next. The Jewish people in the desert, how are they eating? Where are they getting their sustenance from? They have the man. The man is falling every day for them. They're eating miraculously in the desert for 40 years. Where does the manna come from? It comes from heaven. There comes a point where the Jewish people transition from eating the bread of Shammai. In fact, there's even an opinion that said that the blessing they would make on the man was Baruch Atah Hashem Elkeinu Melech HaOlam HaMotzi Lechem Min HaShamayim That's the blessing they would make. I'd love to make that blessing once in my life. And then, a time comes, they get into the land of Israel and the man is over. And where do they get their sustenance from now? From the earth, from the bounty of Eretz Israel, from Eretz Zavat Chalav Udvash, from a land that flows with milk and honey. A Jew that lived in Eretz Israel was liable to forget that his sustenance came to him from God. And it's an amazing trajectory. We live in Egypt for 210 years in abject poverty, in terrible slavery. In Egypt, how did the fields, how did the crops get watered? The Nile overflows, there's very little rain, and the sustenance for the agricultural cycle was provided not by people looking up, but by people looking down. That was meant to be a symbolism for the intense physicality of the Egyptian people. A people who never had to look to the heavens, who never thought of God or morality or the world to come. They lived in the moment. They were people of the earth, by the earth, for the earth. So my friends, those people, they influenced us as a society. We lived there for so long. Eventually you get influenced by the people around you. God moves the Jews into the desert. He flips the switch, uh, you know, turns it around 180 degrees. Every morning, the only place they could look for bread was from the heavens. How much did they get? They couldn't order in Costco enough for a week. Every day they got only exactly enough that they needed for that day. They had nothing more. That was how much they got. When what would come tomorrow? They'd have to look up again and they'd have to wait for God's blessing again. In fact, the 40 years in the desert, it was a training grounds for the Jews.
Where do we know that number 40 from? 40 always represents a process of renewal, of rebirth, of bringing something into existence. It is 40 days uh, into pregnancy when we consider that child, the baby is already identifiably one gender or another, right? And after that point, we say it doesn't help to pray. You shouldn't, person shouldn't pray after 40 days of pregnancy. You shouldn't pray that the baby should be a boy or that the baby should be a girl because it already is what it is, uh, says the Gemara. It's called Tefillat Shav, a prayer, a prayer that's pointless. So you don't pray that prayer. 40 is also the number of sa'ah, a measurements that you have to have in a kosher mikvah. Because when a person dips in the 40, uh, in the number 40, so to speak, there's a process of renewal that happens, a rebirth, a woman coming back from the time that she's been, so to speak, uh, in the process of her nida, and now she's coming back, the opportunity again presents itself to be able to bring life into the world. When the, Jewish, when the world sinned to the point where all flesh had corrupted its way, God literally stuck the world in a mikvah for 40 days. That process of 40 always represents a turning over, a process of renewal, something that comes back in a way that it hasn't been there before. So for 210 years we lived in, e in Egypt. God says, I need to uproot the OS and give you a new operating system. Have you ever had your computer say to you, update needed? And you, like an idiot, think, oh, update, that's probably a good thing. So you click the button that says update, and then what happens? It says loading, it says downloading, it says optimizing, all different words for go kill yourself. <laughs> okay? So your computer is now in this frozen state, and the only thing they tell you to do, we Jews have 10 commandments. The computer has one commandment, only one. Do not unplug. <laughs> so you, need, you just need to sit and wait. And you look at the bar, and God bless them when they tell you how many hours they think, they estimate this process is going to take. So I just imagine the Jewish people going to the desert, Hashem hits update, approximately 40 years remaining. 40 years they sit in the desert and they literally rip out the old system of looking to the earth, of understanding the natural world, and we create this new system where Jews understand every morning, help me, feed me, sustain me. God says, says, Aperion Shilomo, you're shifting now from manna back into the system where you're going to be planting the earth, where you're going to be bringing food forth from the ground. Your hard work is going to go into plowing and, and putting the seeds and winnowing and fertilizing and pruning and all the things you need to do to bring food forth from the earth. You are liable to think that that is up to you. You are liable to think that that is because of you. God says, so in the beginning of every season, when things start to grow, I want you to bring a certain amount of food as a korban. And how much food did you have to bring? Five and a half pounds. What's that called? Omer. Why? Because every day, 
how much manna was given from heaven for every person. Omer la gulgolet. Each person got an omer. So what are we calling this life-giving sustenance? Food, parnasa. What are we calling it? We're giving it a name that will remind us not to forget where it actually comes from. That five and a half pounds, where does it come from? Boom. Hamotzi lechem min hashamayim. Isn't that magnificent? Isn't that a beautiful name now for the korban? The korban haomer. My friends, there was a man, a religious man, who walked into his boss. His boss was a secular guy. The guy never, never missed an opportunity to make fun of his religious uh, worker. Making fun of his beliefs, making fun of his practices, making fun of his holidays. And then one day the guy walks in and he says to his boss, he goes, you know, we're always looking to invest in new projects. He goes, I found the most incredible machine. I think we should invest in it. The boss says, what's the machine? He goes, it's a machine that you feed uh, all sorts of like food into it, you know, like rot rotten vegetables, all things that anyway society throws out. And then we, when the machine processes the food, actually you get milk comes from all the processed food which can then be reused. So it's a source of renewable energy. It stops waste in the world. Magnificent idea. The guy says, what? Takes all rotten vegetables and does that? Yeah, absolutely. Anything you can do with the vegetables, with grass. Not only if, if you don't even have vegetables, you can feed, you know, you, you can feed, you can have straw into one side of the machine. You could put, you know, grass, whatever it is that you have, you can feed it in the other, you know, in the other side of the machine comes out milk. The guy's thinking, wow, it's amazing. He goes, we should put all of the funds of the firm. There is such a machine. I mean, this will, this will revolutionize the world. The guy says, uh, yeah, absolutely, it will. So he says, can we go see the machine? He says, absolutely. He says, we'll go right now. Let me make a phone call. He makes a phone call. He says, is there any way we can come see, uh, come see you? We'd like to see uh, this machine. The guy, the guy on the side says, sure, absolutely, come, no problem. Make up a time, 8.30. They get in the car, the guy is so excited, he's jumping out of his skin. Anyway, turning down one road, down another, turning down one road, down another. Finally, they come to a big open building. He opens up the gates, at the, the, the doors of the building to show him the machine. With a big smile on his face, he invites his boss to come in. His boss walks in, and what is it? It's a barn. And he points at all of the cows. All the cows. They eat whatever vegetables, grass, thorns, the straw, hay, whatever. And what comes out the other side? Milk. A minute ago, it was the most amazing revolutionary idea. How could it be? Look at how humanity has advanced itself in such magnificent ways. You know what that is? We have a name for it. It's called cow. It goes moo. Ay, the miracles that hide in plain sight. The recognition that Parnassah, that I work really hard for to get out of the ground, you know what we call it? Five and a half pounds. That serves as a tremendous reminder um, that as we move through our day, we're able to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu, not only 
in the obvious miracles. But in the, uh, in the mundane, in the natural, uh, in the less obvious. You know, uh, <clears throat> at one time I was reading the Pasuk, and the Pasuk says, Shifti bibet Hashem, kol yeme hayai, lahzot binoam Hashem ulvakir beyechado. David Amelech says, he prays, he would like to shifti, to reside, right? Bibet Hashem in the house of God. All the days of my life. To be able to see the pleasantness, the kindness of God, and to visit in his sanctuary. What was David Melech praying for? Who could live in the Bet Hashem, in the house of God, all the days of their life? He's a king. He needs to go to war. He needs to sit in judgment. He needs to go see the people. He needs to travel. He needs to go to the bathroom. He needs to go everywhere. There's no one that could live in the synagogue their whole life and never leave. Shifti bet Hashem I think the answer is, my friends, in another pasuk. The pasuk says, Shiviti Hashem lenegdi tamid. It sits in giant letters above our hechal. I place God. I emplace God before me. Shiviti Hashem lenegdi. Tamid, always. Tamid means uninterrupted, non-stop. God could be in front of you in the synagogue, at the Beit HaMikdash. God could be in front of you in a beautiful mountain and valley, you know, uh, vista. God could be in front of you in, in, in the delivery room. God could be in front of you at a funeral. God could be in front of you in the bathroom. God could be in front of you in the bedroom. When a person, they place God in front of them, it means that they live with a constant awareness of God. There's not a moment when they take their focus off of the fact that it is Borei Olam that's running this world. And it is Borei Olam that allows us to be able to have a connection with Him in the highs and lows of life. In the things that are obviously holy and obviously miraculous, and some things that are perhaps not as obviously miraculous, but also not as obviously holy. It takes a Jew to be able to go to the mikveh before intimate relations, to raise the concept of what it means, marital intimacy, to bring a holiness, to make that special, to make that uh, perhaps a little bit less animalistic and a little bit more spiritual. It takes a Jew to find the beracha to say after he goes and he sits in the bathroom. You know, you say a beracha when your child is born to the world. Wow, you're thanking God that you just had a brit milah for your son. I think the world could understand that beracha. Who understands a beracha after you took a poop? We do. Shiviti Hashem lenegdi tamid. Do you know what kind of wonders are required? for the human body to be able to take all the food that you have, to sort it out in your stomach. What do you have, elves in there? That are figuring out, what are all the nutritious parts of this food? Let's take all of that stuff. What are all the stuff that we don't need? Let's get rid of that stuff. How are you gonna get rid of it? The body needs to break it down. The body needs to turn it into uh, waste. 
We are the most incredible, sophisticated, waste-managing plant. We are a mobile, waste-managing device. Think about that for a minute. Then the body, not only does it take the parts of the food that it needs, it figures out how to strip it down, how to break down that food. Some of it gets used for fat. Fat that you need to be able to power you on your day. Fat is fuel. Okay? Then the body says, one second, hold on. There's this vitamin. You know what I need that vitamin for? For eyesight. Let me send this vitamin straight up to the optical nerve. Do you know what? This vitamin, this is needed for bone density. Let me stick that in the bones. This calcium, that goes over there. Could you imagine that this is happening without any elves? I think sometimes it's easier to just think of the body as a miracle than to actually discover the scientific principle which actually underscores that miracle. What is brain food? What makes the blood the correct viscosity? What allows for the heal, the skin to be able to heal and repair itself? You have a self-repairing mechanism on the outside. Tear it open. You know what happens? It fixes itself. What the heck is that? That's the body. An, an infection comes in, you're sick as a dog. What does the body say? You lie in bed, I got this. I'm sending thousands, millions, trillions of soldiers to fight this invading army of germs. That's literally what's going on in your body when you have a cold. It is remarkable. So if you call the Omer barley, or if you call the Omer Parnassah at this critical juncture, as the Jewish people are leaving, the obvious Shifti Bebet Hashem, and traveling into a less obvious Shifti Bet Hashem, we wanted to give them a reminder. As soon as the thing that's going to make your head swell up begins, your riches, your produce, Hashem says, remember me. I don't need this food to sustain you. Five and a half pounds. There was a time when I just poured it down on you from the heaven, exactly as it needed to be eaten. What this means is, and this is perhaps the homework of today's class, is to recognize that wherever you are, you are in Bet Hashem. And that's what David Amalek was saying. I could be on the battlefield and I have a decision to make and the decision-making process even on the battlefield even like the term goes in the fog of war that's God's house and the, and the supermarket when you're choosing which products you should buy based on the marking on it you're in God's house it's amazing. A person can live if they use their focus and their attention. They can live forever in the presence of Borei Olam. But that is a mental mindset that a person needs to constantly recreate, keep constantly bring up. And when they do that, then they live with God. Shiviti Hashem Lenegdi Tamid. What could be a bigger beracha than that? Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen